friends. We are doing something a little different these days. We're taking a bit of a hiatus um, to get our shit together. Honestly, we're... um, Our podcast has grown, we've grown, our lives are changing, all our lives have changed. And so we're taking some weeks to like figure out what we want to do. We've got some big ideas. Um, We're taking some breathing space. Yes. Yeah. Particularly to read some big books as well. Uh, (laughs) And so we thought we would release some of our favorite episodes or re-release, I should say, some of our favorite episodes uh, from the last almost two years now we've been doing this, um, which is crazy. Uh, And, you know, give you guys a little insight into what was going on and stroll down memory lane and say hi and and then come back with some full-length content in a few weeks. Um, yeah, more like six weeks. Six um, weeks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more than a month. But don't worry, we will still be popping in your podcast feed with some re-releases, like Julie mentioned, and some special mini-sets that we've got Yeah, uh, tucked away. We're excited to share with you. This episode that we're re-releasing is My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. This was episode 26, and it's monumental for Julie and I because yeah. it was released on March 22nd, 2020, it was the last episode that we recorded in person with a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the pre-pandemic times, we used to make a fun weekend out of it. We'd have a friend over and make food and talk about the book and then yeah. eventually turn on the mic. And it was really laid back and casual. Um, now these days, it's like been a whirlwind of an adventure trying to figure out the tech of getting multiple people on a remote call and get headphones and microphones and yeah yeah Yeah. so it's kind of nice to listen back to this one um our friend jessica campion park was on this episode um and so much has changed since then um jessica has a new baby which is so cute we've been seeing pictures on instagram uh I thought it was also interesting to look at the books that we recommended um, in this episode and that we ended up doing on the podcast. So we talked about Homegoing, ended up doing that one, yeah. Circe by Madeline Miller. I think this might have been one of the first times I heard of it was some, uh, was maybe Jessica oh, recommending wow. it. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I think back to the era of the podcast for us that this kind of was the tail end of and we were still doing our own edits. We were still recording in one room on one mic. Like we were still... literally the worst way to do a podcast. Yes. We were so low tech and exhausting ourselves. And when the pandemic hit, we really like hit a slump because we were like so emotionally drained and the way we had set up our podcast was just not sustainable. So, um, that's part of what we're going to be doing in these six weeks is like figuring out how to make it something that we can do for a long time. Um, But at the same time, I'm really proud of this episode. Like I remember I've listened back Mm -hmm. and it, um, 
Like, I remember while I was recording it and then afterwards when it was done and edited and out, I remember having this feeling of like, this is why we made the podcast. Like this episode is like, mm, mm. is like the meat and potatoes of exactly what I wanted to be doing. And it was like a weirdly warm spring day. And we prepped the episode outside and we talked about like gender politics and World War Two and like Italian and literature. And it was this, I don't know, it was like such a fun afternoon and such a good book. And, um, and I'm really proud of how it turned out. So uh, very excited to share it with all of you. If you haven't read this book already, please know that the book, as well as our conversation, includes dialogue around sexual assault and domestic violence and, um, violence against children and if that's not something you want to listen to right now or ever that's okay we'll catch you on our next re-release a next minisode or maybe you know in six weeks when we break out with the new season <laughs> yeah when we burst forth um <laughs> yeah the new season may or may not include part two of the elena ferrante my brilliant friend series there are no promises because I am an extremely slow reader sometimes. <laughs> it's a very and it took long me book. So long to read my brilliant friend for yeah. us to do this up this first episode. So yeah. we we have it on the shelf. We want to do it. Uh, just no promises on when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's coming. In the meantime, we have a survey posted on our website survey survey survey, survey. <laughs> victoria and i love surveys um and we <laughs> and we um we love data and we really really want to hear from our listeners because we've realized now that we're so distant even from our guests that like we really want to work on creating more of the community aspect of a book club that you would get where you're hanging out, drinking wine with your friends. We want to try and find that. And so we want to involve you guys in some decisions that we're making about the future. We would absolutely love to hear from you. There is a link in our Instagram link tree on our website. It's like literally right at the top of the page. You can't miss it. And it would be super helpful for us. You can also win yeah. free shit. Victoria, yeah. what can they win? So if you go to www.bookclubwithjv.com, click on the button at the top of the screen. Uh, the first 15 people who respond and include their mailing address will get a limited edition, one of a kind, <laughs> book club with Julia and Victoria bookmark. It's very cute. Um, they're really snazzy bookmarks. I really I, like them. I also like them. Our faces are also on it. So we mm -hmm. might be biased. Um, <laughs> but it's the cute little cartoon that uh, the wonderful designer, Gabby Febland, drew of us. Yes. Um, reading books and drinking wine. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to include your email address, you'll be entered to win one $25 gift card to bookshop.org. So you can get some awesome books and support local bookstores. Um, Yay, if you haven't bookstores. used bookshop.org, you can uh, specify a specific independent bookstore that you want to support. Uh, so semicolon in Chicago is one that I've supported through bookshop.org. Or if you don't have a specific one, um, if you buy a book from bookshop.org directly, they will 
uh, give a big portion of that money uh, split out to a bunch of different independent bookstores. So you only win. You can't lose. You can't lose. Just kidding. If you, you might lose if you're not quick enough. We might run out of bookmarks and you might not <laughs> get the gift card. Um, but maybe you yeah. win because in the end, you're helping us better the podcast and create yeah. the community that you want to be a part of. So yeah, we came full circle. Everyone wins. <laughs> Everyone wins. So yeah, please enjoy this lovely blast from the past and we will see you in a few weeks. Bye. Welcome to Book Club. We wanted to read literally every poem and talk yes. about every single one. Why do I breathe? Yeah, <laughs> you don't. Um, go read it yourself. You gotta read the whole thing. Go read it. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, I read the whole thing in two days. Um, <laughs> partially because Victoria takes longer to read things than she gets it first. <laughs> I hope Wes Anderson, as a young child, thought to himself. Yes. <laughs> I am an aesthetic. Like, he learned the word aesthetic. You like historical fiction, and I like dragons. Uh, welcome to the party. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Book Club. With Julia. And Victoria. Where we read a book and talk about it each episode. And if you have not read the book we're talking about this week, My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, and you care about spoilers, hit pause, come back later. We will still be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, welcome to the party. This yeah. week we have a wonderful guest, Jessica. Jessica Campion Park is a friend from here in Chicago. She is a self-proclaimed Elena Ferrante super fan, and she also <laughs> minored in Italian, which we learned today, which will be really interesting to hear your insight. Um, and you lived there for a little bit as a mm-hmm. student, so super cool. Welcome, Jessica. Yeah. Thanks. Excited to be here. <laughs> we haven't had a guest in a little while. Yeah, it's been a minute. Well, we, I mean, we Thanksgiving. did our Christmas. Um, oh, we, yes, we did Christmas episodes with our family. Yeah. That was fun. This week we are talking about My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, which is our first book that we've done on the podcast in translation, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally written in Italian. The author is actually anonymous. Uh, Elena Ferrante is a pseudonym, and she has been active writing since 1992. This book is part of the Neapolitan novels. It was the first one. And this was, it came out in English in 2012, um, and then every year after that for four years it was another novel, which is insane how fast. Because they're so long. They're, yeah, that these were cranked out. Like, writing them, getting them translated, getting them published, insane. It almost makes me wonder, like, if she had them all done first. Mm. That's my gut. That? My gut is that she had them done. The way they flow and the way that the books interact with each other, okay. I'm not sure I see how it could have been up and done that way. So to clarify, and you have read I've all read four. all four. Okay. I've read all four, and I will be doing my best to not spoil any of the <laughs> next three books. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I'm on book two. Victoria's finished book one, so we're all in slightly different places. But, yeah. yes. Yeah, so book two, The Story of a New Name, came out in 2013. Those Who Leave and Those Who Stay in 2014, and then the uh, final book, The Story of the Lost Child in 2015. Um, there isn't a lot known about the author. There's been some people who've done research to try to dig up who the author is, which seems pretty invasive to me. Um, there was an Italian investigative reporter who published an article uh, back in 2016 that tried to reveal 
um, her identity using like financial records related to like real estate sales and royalty payments and like narrowed in on a person. And then this other like research group out of university, which I'm like, okay, who is funding you to invade <laughs> someone's life? But they did a textual analysis of all these Italian authors and identified the person who was previously identified by the journalist identified her husband. Um, but then she's also been known to edit a lot of his work. So it's like, did her writing influence mean something there? And mm. then Alana Ferrante through her publisher dismissed the suggestion that she is a man. Um, so there's a lot of like questions out there, but mm. from my perspective, it's not important who the author is here and, um, kind of, cool to have some sort of mystery left when it comes to like celebrity names mm, um, yeah. that we literally don't know who they are kind of like Banksy or something yeah I do think I think it's important that it's a woman like that's the yeah. one important piece of it for me I don't care who she is but I do think it's important that it's a woman because yeah. of like the way she writes about female friendship the way she writes about women in general and I find it fascinating we're going to talk about some of these things mm-hmm. later but like the way that even just the response to her being anonymous plays out some of the themes that she so specifically writes about in her books about mm-hmm. like violence against women and like identity and men like being successful off the curtails of women like mm-hmm. there's all these very fascinating things that kind of prove some of the themes that she wrote about in her yeah. book based yeah. on people's responses to her choice to say anonymous yeah well and in my mind I think it almost makes the sort of because we were talking about how these feel really autobiographical and the fact that she chose the name Elena as her like pseudonym and that's the name of the sort of main narrator's character and the girl who ends up writing yeah um and so like it almost feels like because we don't know her life, uh, the life of the author, it feels like these are actually written by Elena Greco. And so, like, I think that's also really powerful, that it, it feels, um, it almost makes her feel more like a real person, that this mm-hmm. this main character is, like, t- really telling her real story. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just changed her last name in the, yeah. in the book, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's kind of what it feels like, um, which I really love. Like, there's a million names you could have chosen. Right. And you chose the same name as your protagonist yeah. as your, like, pen name. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a pseudonym literally until today when I was doing research. Yeah. And I just, I, when I got to the first point where someone calls the narrator by her name, I'm like, oh, it must be semi-autobiographical. Okay. And, like, just keeps mm-hmm. raining. Like, didn't, mm-hmm. didn't quite kind of question that. Yeah. Um, what you were saying, Julia, reminds me of Lemony Snicket, almost, where the narrator... Um, it seems almost synonymous with the author. Yeah. Um, and is very self-referential. And that's yeah. a little more of a quirky way. And, like, Lemony Snicket, we, we, we do know who yeah. is behind that pseudonym. But yeah. um, it makes the author feel like a character in a way. Yeah, yeah. When it's either semi-autobiographical like, and you know it, or yeah. you've got a pseudonym. Yeah. Kind of, like, relating the character with the yeah. narrator. Well, Lemony Snicket addresses the reader directly. Yeah, yeah. That, like, that's he feels very thing. much like he is writing to me. Yeah. But, yeah. This was the first book in a series that I've picked up in a while that mm-hmm. wasn't children's or young adult fiction, mm-hmm. and that was really refreshing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really excited that there's three more books about these mm-hmm. characters. It's... I hadn't thought about that, because the only series books I think of are, like, 
children's books so like, or like young adult, young adult like novels, Harry yeah. Potter, mm-hmm. Twilight, yeah. those kind of books, or yeah. even like my mom reads like murder mysteries that link in all together. But they're right. they're not like high literature. They're like not genre fiction. Yeah. Think of, yeah. Yeah. It's not like a really beautifully written book that also has like three sequels to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like what I want out of most novels. Yeah. Like when you sit there and you're like, it's done, you like, I never get to interact with these characters again. Like, what yeah. is this? And the author yeah. goes off to write other probably really good books. And I'm like, what about this character? Yeah. So, um, I already feel yeah. that way. Like at the end of four, mm. I'm already like, do I reread them? Do I read them in English? Do I attempt to read them in Italian and, like, take ten years to get through them? Like, what do do I do with this? Yeah. Do I petition her to write it from multiple people's perspectives? Because I would read this entire series again from from Leela's perspective. Yeah. Oh, that would be fascinating. The entire thing. um, Elena remains the narrator through Mm -hmm. all four. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I almost wonder if it was a similar... So, like... Tolkien, when he wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it was one book. They just couldn't publish it as one book because it was so long. And also paper is expensive. But I almost (laughs) feel like it was, I mean, it it was at the time. Um, But I almost feel like she wrote all four of them as just one giant book. (laughs) So there's something that happens in, like, the second book that I don't want to give away uh-huh. that also supports why I think that it was written all at one time. Okay. And they pick up immediately instantly yeah. after the other ones. Yeah. It was like they just picked an arbitrary like, all right, let's cut this here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I found one quote from whoever is Elena Ferrante about uh, one like kind of the reasoning behind her pseudonym and she says books once they are written have no need of their authors and um, it's just interesting to think about uh, Julie and I studying literature there's actually like a whole mm-hmm. um, theory of like the author is dead mm-hmm. um, author never matters when we like analyze literature we shouldn't consider them in their lives mm-hmm. it's one way to approach analyzing books and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious if the author holds that as, like, they're trying to live out this approach towards literary theory, or if it's a more personal, like, I literally can't put my name behind this because of what I'm saying about people in my life. You know, like, is she protecting herself from potential Ooh, backlash of, like, family members or community that. members? I've thought that for a little bit, but so that quote comes directly from a future installment of this series. Oh, really? So it becomes this, like, huge theme about identity, yeah. And so I think it's I think it's a very deep, like probably both personal and a very deep like uh, belief she has about yeah. being an author. Well, also, I wonder if like because, I mean, public figures who create art, um, something we would talk about in school all the time and something that I see so often is that like if public figures don't really own themselves anymore mm. if they you know what I mean if once you like like Beyonce is just like she is owned by everyone as this image uh, that we all have in our heads of like that's who she is yep. and then she has this whole other person that she is at home that no one else gets to see except like the people close to her because we just consistently project Beyonce onto Beyonce yes, like our narrative exactly. of Beyonce yeah exactly and so part of me I would like, um, I think she's kind of 
preempting that process of like these books are no longer going to be mine as soon as someone else reads them and projects their own experiences onto them and their own analysis like might as well not project anything onto me (laughs) you know what I mean like leave me out of it and just I'll let the book speak for itself Um, well especially they think that she's a literature professor mm -hmm. like that's one of the things they think about whoever Elena Ferrante is yeah and so, like, that would completely upend your life. And, like, Italy isn't a huge place. Yeah. Like, it's not a ginormous country. Mm-hmm. Like, it would absolutely, like, someone of her esteem would have a lot projected yeah. onto her, would have a lot put on her as, like, a figure, a large mm-hmm. literary figure. Yeah. That she I mean, now gets to avoid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She gets to continue on living her life, bringing in these massive royalty checks. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like... H, like how much HBO money she's getting or like the Italian cinema yeah. people who are making it like wow like those international royalties mm-hmm. yeah like the um, <laughs> kind of would you rather question of, like would you rather be rich or famous she's like I, I will be rich I will not <laughs> <Yeah>. be famous <laughs> but I wonder I wonder if she lets anyone in on that is she the mm. like clearly she and her publisher know but like does her partner know? Does her closest friend know? Mm. Does her family know? Mm. That would be really... Who gets to be in the inner circle? Interesting. Well, I, I feel like if you're close enough... If it's someone close enough to her in her life and she just suddenly has this, like, really massive house in the country... You know what I mean? That's, like, if yeah. she's having a bunch of money... Like, like oh, I have a house in Sorrento now. You would, like, oh, they're off the coast. Yeah. <laughs> you would notice if you were close to her. Mm-hmm. I feel like, because we've talked about the author so much, I will just give a brief summary of what this book is about before we get into it, because, like, we're, like, who, you know, we've talked so much about the character and the not the author, so, um, essentially, my brilliant friend is, um, it's written from the first person's perspective of Elena Greco, um, but it's really about, um, both Elena Greco and her lifelong friend. They have a bit of a contentious relationship often, but um, uh, whose name is... What's her full name? Rafaela Cerullo. Rafaela Cerullo, but she's or called... Cerullo? Cerullo. Cerullo? Maybe probably. Cerullo, yeah. Um, but she's never called Rafaela, except by her parents occasionally, but she's <laughs> called um, Lena or Lila. Um, and it's really about both of them. Um, so they grow up in a poor neighborhood in Naples, um, just in like the fifties, right? It starts in the fifties. It's right after World War II. They were both born in 1942. So like, I'm pretty sure it says in the beginning here. Yeah. I had 44 in my notes, but somewhere around there. That's really interesting actually, because our book for next week, um, is also about the generation that came immediately after World War II. Look at that. Uh, so it's in, the, yeah. it's in the future ones, but I'm pretty sure they were both born, they were both born in August of 42 or 44, but it's like somewhere mid right end yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're dealing with the immediate, like, immediate aftermath of the war and kind of um, modernization and essentially you follow these two characters who are kind of foils of each other and you watch um, kind of 
kind of a commentary on what it is to grow up as a young girl and eventually what it is to be a woman um, in this area and kind of in the modern world. Um, and they're really powerful. Um, and incredibly detailed, like so detailed, like there's so many, there's so many characters. And so you're really seeing the, the neighborhood as a whole. It's kind of its own characters, the neighborhood. Um, yeah. So, so that's the book. Yeah. Thanks, Julia. What was your experience, Jessica, reading this book? How did you find it? What did you think? Yeah. So how did it control your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Uh, so one of my best friends who we often will like send books back and forth to each other will, I trust her book recommendations more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And she recommended this book to me about a year before I actually picked it up because I added it to my list and I saw the cover and thought, no way <laughs> I'm yeah. reading this book. It looks like a terrible like seventies novel that I'm well, going to hate. Yeah. We'll put a link to the, co- like the cover image in the show notes. It like when we say it's a terrible cover, is an understatement. It's so I so studied, bad. yeah. So I have a minor in Italian, but I studied advertising in college, <laughs> and it's a bad cover. <laughs> I try not to judge books by their cover, but I did this one. It's Anyways, hard not to. I, it's really hard. I yeah. literally stopped Julie, and I'm like, wait, what are you reading? Like, yeah. What is this book? She doubted my. <laughs> I was like, Julia has really good taste in book, but this looks like some, yeah, <laughs> 70s rom com. Just trash. It looks trash. Like trash. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a trashy novel. <laughs> it is not. No. Um, it sat on my Goodreads for a while, and then I finally requested it from the library, picked it up, and then just absolutely devoured it. Like, I could not stop reading it. And I would say even, usually my experience of reading is I can kind of, like, I remember, like, the process of reading the words, and, like, I remember some key quotes. These novels, I just feel like I consumed in, like, a gulp. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of what you were saying, like, there's so much detail about people. Yeah. yeah. But you, she dives in so deep, yeah. and then she just, like, steamrolls over other things. Like, not as much in this novel, but in the future. She'll, like, jump whole, like, months or years because yeah. they're just unimportant to the narrative of the friendship. Yeah. And just the way she writes is... I'm someone who gets very jealous of people who write beautifully, mm-hmm. and I found myself envious of <laughs> Elena Ferrante or whoever she is, just because how incredible. I just really admire her, and I admire literally the way she writes, as well as this incredible story that she's crafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like very similar story to yours. My um, One of my best friends in college and was my roommate senior year. She, I remember seeing this book on her nightstand and again, just like Victoria, doubted her taste. And I'm so sorry, Nikki. I should never have doubted you. Um, (laughs) So her, one of her childhood best friends had read all of them and like recommended them. And I saw the book and I looked it up and I was like, okay, so it's a better book than it looks, but, like, I was very skeptical about it. And then um, a year ago, I saw, well, a year and a half ago, I saw that HBO was doing a miniseries um, chronicling all four books that was originally being made in Italy and is distributed by HBO in the U.S., um, and that they had a deal for all four seasons already. (laughs) Um, And I was like... 
I, that's what really motivated me to read it because I thought like, oh, HBO is going to do an amazing job with this. I want to have already read the book. Um, and so I read this last fall and I felt like everyone and their mother read it last fall. <laughs> like I remember having conversations at Christmas of everyone who had mm-hmm. just read it and it was very fresh and we were like, ah! <laughs> and at work we did like a book swap. I worked at like a literary nonprofit and two different people brought this book <laughs> to donate. So, um, yeah, I, it took me a while. I'm not going to lie. I, um, bigger books like this that are more dense, I do read more slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always very engaging and I always wanted to read more. Um, even if it was just a little bit every day. Um, but yeah, I couldn't read it very fast. Yeah. So. I had a little bit of a difficult time getting into it. Um, mainly for the violence aspect mm-hmm. and, um, pretty early in the book, Pretty early in the book, the narrator says, I feel no nostalgia for our childhood. It was full of violence. And that's like almost an understatement. Mm -hmm. The whole first section, which is their childhood, is like dark and Mm -hmm. a lot of like violence, both imagined and real. Um, People like almost dying, being injured. There's like adultery cases and all this stuff going on. And they're like nine, you know, they're Mm -hmm. really young for some of this to be happening and um, for you know, imagining a narrator who can remember it so vividly to write about it mm-hmm. as an adult um, must have been, like, pretty traumatic. And yeah. um, once I got into it farther, though, especially hitting the adolescence chapter, I think that's where I really, or a section, it's where it really mm-hmm. took off for me personally, and then I just, like, couldn't stop reading it, so. And I know, I've had a few people tell me that, like, the violence, it was really hard for them to move past the violence, and that's how I am, like, visually. If I see violence, I usually just stop. Like, I just don't watch that movie. I don't watch that show. There's something about reading it that didn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. And also, we've talked about this. Like, I studied Italian in college, and I knew, unfortunately, how violent and misogynistic the culture was, especially post-World War II, and sometimes, unfortunately, even to this day. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe I had already known that, and I was prepared for that. Yeah. A little bit. I think what felt most violent was how almost casual some of these encounters were. Yeah. It's not like gory details that is disturbing. It's not like talking in like massive detail about like blood or no, nope. I don't know, crazy things. It's just like it was a Tuesday. Yeah, that's exactly. what happened on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then our lives went on. Yeah, and that makes it worse. <laughs> you know, the only time that I was really taken aback by the violence. I think because I just didn't really visualize most of it um, was when they throw Leela out the window. Yes. That rocked me. I was yeah. like, no one's going to do anything to her father? Are you kidding me? Yeah. She was thrown out the window. Like, and just no one in the town says anything about it. She's, yeah. like, limping for weeks. I mean, I think I just... That is such an early representation of, like, how women are treated in this neighborhood yes. and in this society. And you're right. That that part was really hard. Yeah. And then the, um, the first instance of sexual assault where, like, they don't address it, but it's one of her friends. And she's, like, 11, maybe? She's young. She's really young. Um, the boys are, like, 16, the though. The boys I are think. older. Yeah. 
and they take her away. It's multiple of them, and they take her away in a car, and she comes back. And they never say exactly what happened, but, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, the neighborhood knows. And every time yeah. she's kind of mentioned again that, like, baggage carries with her. Yes. yes. That she's yeah. she becomes, like, the town slut, essentially. Mm-hmm. Pardon my language. Um, but she's and, a child. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously could not resist these very powerful men. Wealthy men, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Those, those were the two moments that really, like, hit me. Because um, a lot of the other stuff, um, I think because she talks about it so casually and almost brushes over it, you know what I mean? It's not in great detail. So if you're not, like, really visualizing everything, all the action that's happening, you could almost miss it. Mm-hmm. That was, at least for me. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is hard. And I think the show does a good job of, like, giving you just enough um, so that you can feel the weight of how violent this culture is against women without feeling too overwhelmed by the pain of it. Because I think if they really represented everything that happened, you just couldn't watch it. Yeah. Do you know if the director and producer of the show are also female? Um, Okay, writing credits were given to the director, um, Saviero Costanzo. Um, also, Elena Ferrante, I don't know if she was actually involved with the writing of the script or if they just credited her because she wrote the novel. Usually mm. adapted screenplays, the original author gets a writing credit. Mm. And then Laura Paolucci and Francesco Piccolo. So it's like a mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they credited on all nine episodes, so it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like there was different episode writers, okay. but maybe they were like a, a writing group. That makes sense. So we've talked a bit about like how the book addresses violence against women in the culture. Um, I think a question that you brought up, Jessica, is, like, is there a protagonist to this book? And that was actually something I'd never thought about before, but I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is like, um, because, like, just because Eleanor Greco is the one who has all the opportunities that put her into a place where she can now write this story and tell this story. She's the one who finds a way to have a voice yeah. in her culture. Um, but it's she chooses not to just make it about her. Mm-hmm. She chooses to include not only her story, but the story of her sort of opposite, but also... Um, her better in some ways. You know what I mean? She. This is the story about, like, I'm the one who was successful, but this is the woman who should have been successful. Yeah. And that's, like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> like, what an incredible choice yeah. to be, like, you're reading my words right now, but you should really be reading about her. Yeah. But she doesn't write it from Leela's perspective mm-hmm. because Leela isn't given a voice in her culture. Um just due to circumstances and like small decisions that various men make in her life that prevent her from becoming what she's really capable of. Cause she's, I mean, my brilliant friend refers to Leela and she's a genius. She teaches herself to read. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> it's not even in her own spoken language. Cause you were talking about, um, yeah. Dialect. So, so like, there's dialect is not necessarily 
as I understand it, dialect is not written. Okay. Written Italian is what they call in the book Italian, or what you would think of like Italiano. Um, and it's more of like true, like literature is written in Italian. That's what Elena studies in school. That's what Leela teaches herself. Mm-hmm. It's not what she's hearing every day in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's for all intents and purposes, kind of a different language because yeah. they're very clear. And that's something I am interested to pick up the Italian not like the Italian versions of these and see mm. they very specifically say and then like Leela said this in dialect mm-hmm. they call it out very specifically and I'm wondering if in the Italian version they just switch back and forth between Italian and dialect or if they call it out mm-hmm. and then she switched to dialect and said blah 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 I'm kind of imagining it just goes back and forth it's just Italian and dialect mm-hmm. and they don't call it out but because like of the culture that it was translated into like we have to understand that this is a different quote unquote like language being spoken. Yeah. I, I thought about that <clears throat> when I was reading the the scene where she's learning English and how how much work the translator had to do to make that scene work because you're reading it in English and you're trying to understand the difficulty she's having learning the language yeah. and then like using it and it's I don't know it's a very interesting yeah. read. Um, mm-hmm. It's my first book in a while that I've read in translation and honestly that's like the biggest gap I think in my formal education, especially mm-hmm. in college, is that I didn't read much that wasn't um, originally in English. So um, it's really interesting to think about, like, the choices that were made there, which Absolutely. I didn't even mention, the translator, Anne Goldstein. I was just reading the little back part of the book. She is the head of copy department at The New Yorker, and mm-hmm. she has um, translated all of Elena Ferrante's previous novels, as well as novels by other um, Italian authors. What an honor. Yeah. That's a cool gig. Can you imagine, like, that showing up at your door and, like, you get the pleasure of devouring this novel and translating it for people in your culture to appreciate? Yeah. Um, I'm actually curious because I'm realizing now that I, like, relate with one of the characters more than another, but I'm Mm -hmm. realizing that I might just be assuming that we all relate to the same characters. Do you have, like, a character that you relate to more? Elena reminds me of my mom. Actually, interesting. Um, I don't relate to either of them personally, but mm. particularly when I saw her in the show, I was like, "Oh my god, this is my mom!" Yeah. <laughs> um, she like because she's so unsure of herself, mm. but has this like somehow has this driving force behind her, pushing her forward, mm-hmm. and like keeps studying and. Um, and I feel like that's kind of how my mom always was, was just like knowledge was just so, she just needed more. Yeah, I don't know, something about her personality just really reminded me of her. Um, and just the way that like, she didn't necessarily pick things up really naturally. Cause I, I think that's something that's an important distinction is like, yeah. um, Leela just knows things. Like she just reads a book and knows, <laughs> understands it. Whereas um, Elena has to like, study all the time in order to get good grades. Yeah. And that's how my mom always was. So. Mm-hmm. I identify more with Elena in the between them and their relationship as far as yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. more of the follower. Yes. Um yeah. I in different periods of my life have had that, you know, best friend who that they're the instigator. They're the one that's going to mm-hmm. like challenge you and challenge me. And I think yeah, I related with that the most and um, 
That makes sense. I think yeah, there was one bit when, okay, so when Lee, uh, yeah, when Elena gets back from her summer at the beach mm-hmm. house and she meets up with uh, Lila for the first time and they want to, they get in Stefano's car, but like, it's because like Stefano and Lila have a thing for each other, mm-hmm. but they can't be public about it. So like Elena's there kind of as like a third wheel to make it seem okay, like yeah. a chaperone almost. Yeah, it's um, a group now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. It's a group outing. It's a group date. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm scared, Leela. And Leela says back, do you remember how many things we've done that scared you? I waited for you on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that tended to be me, the more, like, nervous, scared one. But, like, the mm-hmm. friends, like, my friends would be like, no, we're doing this. This is what mm-hmm. we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, like, resonated with that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how Elena's character grows. Being that I haven't read the other ones, yeah. because it's like in my later adolescence and definitely into my adulthood, very much like became less afraid and more outgoing. And like, yeah. I'm curious if she has a similar or different trajectory than that. Yeah, I would say in this novel, I very much relate to Elena. And as it moves forward, I continue to like not relate to either of them. Mm-hmm. But in this novel, I remember very strongly. And I think that's what makes this so powerful and why so many women and people love it is like it very much represents that really intense like female friendships you have Mm -hmm. growing up of like this person that you like fight with and you don't get along with, but they're their best friend. And like, Mm -hmm. I absolutely had that person. And that person is like one of my favorite people in the world. And yet we would like, and she's not like Leela at all, but like that intensity of the relationship that we Mm -hmm. had was always there. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, like I wish maybe I had leaned into that relationship more kind of in the way that like, even though Leela obsess Elena, she doesn't ever remove herself from it. Like she mm-hmm. keeps digging into it. Yeah. Because um, if any, like she knows it's making her better. Kind of your mm-hmm. point earlier of like she knows Leela's the one who should have been writing this book. She knows yeah. Leela's the one who should have been successful. Like she knows that Leela's making her better, and so she keeps leaning into this relationship even when they fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the thing that was represented so incredibly well the part of their relationship that I did relate to is kind of like the relationship between smart women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yes. like who they're known for being smart and they're like um, at the top of their class or whatever. And that kind of like, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes to yeah. like both be smart in different ways and so you're yes you're like competing with each other that's yeah yeah but also you're like you're 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 each other's best allies Mm -hmm. but you're also there's this thing of like if you're like there can only be one Mm -hmm. in a way culturally right well especially in the neighborhood yeah like there can only be one smart one there can only be like one successful one yeah um only one of them can make it out so in some ways they're competing against each other and they don't want to be, and, like, so Elena's jealous of Leela all the time, mm-hmm. and Leela's jealous of Elena all mm-hmm. the time, because, like, Leela's the one who has, who's more creative, and, like, the way she writes a story really early on, um, and she just picks things up so naturally, and just has this, like, insatiable mind, and that applies to everything. Like she's good mm-hmm. at everything she touches. You know what I mean? She starts mm-hmm. making shoes and she's an incredible designer, right? Um, whereas, like, Elena um, ha- like has very different... is also very smart, but is more, like, studious and um, thoughtful and... but 
is the one and who I think ended she's up being the rule follower. That's yeah. why I related to her. Is like mm-hmm. I'm 100% a rule follower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she is good at the school system, and that's one yes. thing I related to is yep. that like the American education. The American education system was built in a way for people like me particularly to excel. It doesn't mean that I'm, like, incredibly brilliant or anything. It's just, like, I was socialized at a young age and very comfortable being quiet and listening. Mm-hmm. And that makes it easier to excel. But also, because you post... LOL. You, excel. You post about this on Insta a lot, that you're a three. Yeah. And I'm a three. Enneagram talk here. Yeah. And you <laughs> were enne- threes on the Enneagram. And so, like, also, we're so driven for success. You're an eight. I'm not familiar with Tom Bates. Uh, but, like, we're so driven towards success that, like, we're going to figure the system out. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to thrive at that system. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Kind of in the way that, like, even though Elena has to work at it really hard, like, she figures out how to thrive in it. Mm-hmm. And if anything, like, Leela is, like, Elena's book smart and Leela, I don't like the word street smart, but, like, she learns how to live within the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, like, in this novel, and it continues for the rest of the series, like, learns more how to be, like successful in the neighborhood where Elena mm-hmm. yeah. isn't as successful in the neighborhood well, because even, she has to be yeah. single-minded yeah. and, like, so focused on her education. Well, the way... So, Leela's main storyline is, like, she's not allowed to continue her education, so she educates herself, and which sort of pushes Elena. But then also... Um, if you don't continue an education, you're expected to get married very young. And one of the, like... One of the boys from the sort of powerful family in the neighborhood, the rich family, who's like probably in the mafia. See, you know what I mean? Like, just all signs lead towards that. Yeah, it's never stated, but you're like, you're definitely connected to the family. Um, so he's like really, really interested in her, and she's not, but like, she figures out a way to work to, like, break the system so that she has to pull in another guy to basically, like, counteract who's one of the other rich families to, like, counteract him. And the way that she manipulates that is really smart. And I don't think Elena would have been able to do that. No. Well, she's... And, like, Leela's very aware of how little power she has within the neighborhood, but how much she should have. And so she, like, leverages the men in her life. Yeah. Like, although men take advantage of her and men, like do wrong by her and hold her back like she also leverages that power for herself to get as much as she can yeah yeah which is impressive um it's that's another thing where i'm just like how like you could have been like president someday like you just like the way you manipulate situations to like make everyone think that they're doing what they want to do and actually you're the one who told them to do it in your own way Mm -hmm. yeah I've always been impressed by that type of skill. Like, that's an impressive, sometimes manipulative, often manipulative, <laughs> yeah. especially in Leo's case, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and then in some ways, what's really beautiful, though, then, is, like, none of... You get this sense from Leela that, like, she doesn't feel like any of her relationships are real except for the one she has with Elena because Elena sticks with her no matter what she does to her. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, they have this kind of understanding of, like, you're the only one who can pick up on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, so Elena sees what she's doing, and she just doesn't say anything about it. And that so continues. Feels safe with her. 
I won't give anything away, but, like, that continues. Yeah. And even, like, in this novel, Leela already talks about how... I think it's actually, like, when they talk about her as, uh, like, in her 50s, 60s, this idea mm-hmm. of, like, the boundaries dissipating and, like, mm-hmm. there's no boundaries on things. Mm-hmm. Like, she gets very lost in the point of, like, none of her relationships feel real. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even feel real sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Ellen is the person who makes her, like, feel real, who yeah. gets her boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I did want to talk about that, because it's yeah. the one part of the book that I'm like, what is going on here? It feels kind of, I'm like, so mystical, mm-hmm. maybe a little fantasy, kind of, like... Because that's how you're introduced in the book. The spiritual level of, like... So... Uh, Elena talks about, like, the first time that Leela felt this, like boundaries disappearing was it on the rooftop during the fireworks was that the first time it happened yeah I think it's the first time she talks about it but I don't think it's the first time she actually experienced it is no, what I perceived it as the other way, way around. around she talks about it um from at the very beginning when she's an old woman and she disappears but the fr- and she mentions it multiple times of this feeling that she had but the first time it happens in her life okay was the that there yeah so this is like my, we're going through all my different educational things. So I also have a master's in social work. And so I have a lens of like a mental health lens. I very much think she has a mental health condition, mm. whether that be bipolar disorder, which would fit with some of her other personality traits, mm. or maybe it is just like a form, like she grew up with a lot of trauma. Yeah. Maybe it's just an output of her trauma. Mm-hmm. But I I never read a mystical lens on it. I always read a mental health lens on it. Mm. Yeah. The way they portray it in the show made a lot more sense to me mm. because it was a visual representation of that feeling. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. Where um, basically everything gets... everything. It, it's like those scenes in movies where everything slows down except mm-hmm. the person and the noise gets kind of dim and it's just kind of this chaos. But then there's this music over the top and yeah. you feel like you're the only one there and everything gets kind of blurry and slow and you're just like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how they represent it visually. So that sounds more so than in alignment with this idea that Lula is so incredibly intelligent that she oversees everything and mm-hmm. she like can see connections between things that other people are incapable mm-hmm. of seeing. Because um, I think it's in this novel. She, like, all of a sudden goes off onto, like, different, like, political landscapes. Yeah. And, like, she just, like, goes off. And Ellen is like, what? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to, like, yeah. learn Latin. <laughs> and you're, like, fully caught up on all of yeah. the political intricacies of the neighborhood. Well, I wonder if it's, like, an expression yeah. of that feeling. Of mm. that, like, at least that's how I get it here. It feels different to me as the mm-hmm. novels progress, which is why I can kind of gain more belief in the mental health thing mm-hmm. but it sounds like the way they portrayed in the show is more of a because I the way when I feel that way is when I have a sense of awe mm-hmm. of like I'm so like in this moment that like everything is just like you're really zoomed out yeah that's kind of the way you're describing the yeah. way the show presents it is like yeah. a sense of awe yeah is it, well it suddenly she realizes like she sees the whole system. That is basically what's happening. Is she understands like these boys doing what they're doing right now, committing these acts of violence against mm-hmm. each other, is a result of the aftermath of the war and the way pol- politics is developing and the influence of like powerful crime families mm-hmm. and the intersections of gender and money and like all these things. Like what is happening right now is inevitable. 
in a way and just this sense of like I can see it all and I can't do anything about it yeah is the the my understanding of that it, the way she feels hmm. um is like I, I actually really related to that aspect of her personality I was like oh yeah I know exactly what that feels hmm. like is like this um where everything kind of starts to dissolve and you sort of see the big picture but you're stuck as a, as a single human being isn't it even like they have like a similar expression of that in like a brilliant mind or like in some other like movies and like media representations of people who are incredibly brilliant like mm-hmm. the way that like everything like their brain is so focused on like this thing that like everything else becomes it's kind of the opposite I guess actually like they get so focused on the details that yeah. things become weird versus hers is more of like you said she sees the whole system yeah and yet she's I mean, that first story, she's, what, 15? Mm-hmm. She's, like, a 14- or 15-year-old girl in Naples, and she's fully aware of the little power that she holds within this system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her inability, to your point, to do anything. Yeah. 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 Now, I want to go back and reread those passages. Because yeah. for the, the first read, I was lot. just, like, confused. Yeah. And then, like, the more they talk about it, the more I kind of sat on it. It felt like, to me, more along the lines of, like, trauma, like you were talking yeah. about, of, like... Mm-hmm. It's scary. People are shooting off fireworks at each other. Someone pulls out a gun, you know, mm-hmm. and is shooting across, like, yeah. balconies or rooftops. And, like, mm-hmm. um, it felt like she... Because she said, like, the edges were blowing on herself. Yeah. And, like, she was just kind of disappearing of, like, mm-hmm. maybe that's, that's powerlessness, the powerlessness of, like, how small she is. That mm-hmm. she's just, like, wants to just disappear. And then you get that at the very beginning. Like, she... Oh, she's finally done it. She's finally gone off the grid. Disappeared. Um, so that was like the connection I draw. It was like, yeah. she just felt like so powerless in that moment or is so scared yeah. that she just kind of like wanted to feel herself dissolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, whenever you read the other books, okay. let's I'm, circle yeah. back because the powerlessness discussion makes 100% sense, but there's some like ways that Elena Ferrante writes about it later. That makes me think that that's not the whole story of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now I gotta read more. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there's so many good things yeah. I like, want to talk about and I can't. I know, I know, I know. Um, let's talk about the men in the book. Ugh. <laughs> they suck, but um. Almost, not all of them. Most of them. The only one who I'm doesn't sure. suck is Enzo, and he's such a minor character in the first. I know. When you guys were like, Enzo's so great. I'm like, rack my brain. <laughs> who is Which that? one is Enzo? <laughs> okay, but the reason he's. Like, he's just this sort of hovering presence in the first book. Um, and he's more prominent in the second. But, like, and he becomes more important. So, but it, he's this figure who's... Is he, like, two years older than them? How much older is he? I'm not sure how much older he is. But he, he's this kind of figure on the outskirts, It is what it feels like. Yes. Of their society. So he, like, I don't even know if he has parents. He ha- he runs a a fruit cart. Yeah, he, his dad um dies, doesn't uh, he? Yeah. Um, but then the family, the beginning of the book has this enormous <laughs> list of characters. Um, yeah, we don't really know much about his family. Yeah, but because he, he yeah. does, doesn't he take over the vegetable cart? Because his dad is either yeah. injured or dead. Yeah. And um, his mom is there and then there's other children in his family but they're not named right. in it's the literally novel. Just other children yeah, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> Which is like every family. <laughs> and other children. And other children. Yeah. So he... The reason I latched onto him so much is like... He doesn't say very much. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do very much. But in not doing very much, it's a very powerful action for him as a man. Because whenever he's in the same space as Leela, he lets her be herself. And that's the way he supports her, is he, Mm -hmm. like, doesn't shut her down, he doesn't talk down to her, he, like, appreciates how brilliant she is and just lets her be, Mm -hmm. and so you almost don't notice him, and for a while, Leela doesn't, you know what I mean, because he's, he doesn't, like, say much, um, the way the other men that she's constantly having to battle say things, you know what I mean, but he just doesn't have a big ego, and he just... And it's so incredible. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I'm so glad this character is in here because it, like, he, it feels like a safe space for her mm. um, that she doesn't fully appreciate for a long yeah. time. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know how that develops further in the novel, but Elena's, Elena's dad is, seems to me like one of the, like, okay men in this neighborhood. Like, there's moments where he does, like, there's some physical violence and, like, reprimanding and stuff but like comparatively I know it's like not great but it's like compared to like oh he seems decent like he takes her to like okay this is the the subway you're gonna take so you can get to school every day Mm -hmm. and like she feels like she has this really special day with her dad but it also feels like he's kind of absent because it's like the first time she's had like one-on-one time with her dad Mm -hmm. and I'm like oh that's kind of sad you're going off to high school and this is the first or Mm -hmm. equivalent I guess of high school Mm -hmm. kind of the first time you've had like a special day with just your dad I mean that's that's a, like post World War Two. Like that was yeah. happening in the U.S. too. That's yeah, not, for like, sure. That's a post World War Two yeah. Italy thing. But he is supportive, yeah. relatively of her education in a way other fathers aren't. He doesn't hold her back. Yes, that's what. It, yes. Maybe not supportive, but doesn't hold her back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's he yeah because the other fathers, particularly Leela's father, are like almost insulted by her intelligence and her desire to learn more and progress further in her career. Like, she can't be... She's not allowed to be smarter than her dad or something. Um, Yeah. And, yeah. I feel like, as a reader, I was equally betrayed... Maybe not equally, but I was so betrayed by Donato Serratoro. Is that how you say it? Serratoro. Donato? You you liked him? Donato, sorry. At first? (laughs) (laughs) I am a gullible reader. (laughs) taken in by charming characters just oh, as... Oh, God, I hated him the minute he was charming. I was like, shut up, go away. He seemed like the first engaged father we saw in this entire novel, though. I would agree That's that. why he was deceptive to me. Oh. He comes to the beach. I was concerned when Nino was like, what the heck, I don't want anything to do with my father. I'm like, that's probably not a good thing, but I didn't know, is yeah. that a Nino thing? Is it a Donato thing? Obviously, he's had a mixed past because he's like... Um, you know, stories have gone around that he was, like, had a romantic fling with another woman, and that's why they moved out of the neighborhood. Um, but he, like, he reads the paper, and he seems so charming, and then you find out he's reading his own articles that he wrote, and you're like, well, that's so, like, narcissistic. And then Mm -hmm. he sexually abuses Elena, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that was so horrible to read. Mm. And then you get it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is why Nina is, like... I never want to be yeah. my father. Yeah. He uses his charm to get whatever. So it's a different tactic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The rest of the men in her life use brute force. But 
just because he's the opposite end of the coin, it seems initially like, wow, what an mm-hmm. incredible change. But he's reaching, he's achieving the same ends. Yeah. He sleeps with whoever, whoever he wants. He achieves. And he's still success. damaging people along the way. Of it's course. just a different type of damage. You're not smashing people's faces and you're mm-hmm. destroying their inner lives. And then yeah. I feel so bad for his wife, who's just like, yeah, doesn't seem to have another option, you know, mm-hmm. than to stay with this person who keeps cheating on her. Yeah. And in some ways, she probably thinks to herself, like, he, at least he doesn't hit me. You know what I mean? Like, right. He seems like the better option. Yeah. Circle. Yeah. It is interesting, too, like, how focused this book is on the one neighborhood they're from, and, like, all mm-hmm. these families are there, and, like, that's the one family that leaves. Mm-hmm. And so, as an adolescent, meeting them again, mm-hmm. um, I think it, yeah. I think it just like, works in the novel too, like to like have a family go away and come back because then there there's more to not know about them that yeah. Elena has to discover. Well, and then his son Nino is the one that Elena has a crush on, yeah. um, and is sort of her main romantic interest in this book. Um, and he, as much as he doesn't want to become his father, is no better. <laughs> he also sucks, but he's he's more like. Um, He's like every single, like, artsy sad boy that all of us book nerd girls fell in love with. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? From like the movies. And you're, but then you actually realize that they're all terrible. And well, going back to Gossip Girl, yeah. it's like what's his name? Who like everyone thinks is like the great guy, um, Penn Badgley, his character. But like he does terrible things on the show too. But like everyone thinks he's like the bookish and like great one who's like outside of society yeah i i mean yeah it's it's the like you think they're so deep you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and they like appreciate you yeah and but then they like are so full of themselves and so fragile Mm. so the main thing that like really solidifies how much he sucks is like um he's does he publish it himself, or he's, like, working for a small publication when they're in high school? I think he's working for a small publication. Yeah. So he writes articles and stuff, and he asks Elena to write something. And she's, like, so flattered, and she's like, oh, my gosh, he, like, appreciates my intelligence. Like, oh, thank God. And she writes it, and his reaction, he just, like, stops talking to her, and she and he doesn't publish it. And he has control over her words, and basically it was too good. Like, he was too smart, and so he can't let that be published because it'll make him look worse. Um, and I was, oh, I was so mad at him. I was like, you suck so bad. Um, yeah, just like the fragility of the men in this book looks different in different circles, but it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get like every variation of it. Yeah. From like people who like look decent because at least they're not doing like the most extreme external yeah you know violence but then can be just if just as bad if not more on the like emotional and i don't know verbal sexual abuse as well so i want to circle back to something that like is like a progression of something else but i think in the discussion about protagonists and who is the protagonist Mm -hmm. i think what makes this novel and ultimately the series so fascinating and beautiful and detailed and like you really feel like you're in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. is because 
it does so reflect life in that like we are all our own protagonists our own stories and like mm. Elena is a protagonist Leela is a protagonist there's parts of it Enzo becomes a protagonist like mm. there's these moments where you learn so much about these people and they're doing all these positive and negative things that it does like it is more like life like mm. it's just so beautifully bringing to life this entire neighborhood and all of the dysfunction and beauty <laughs> and violence and it just brings to life every part of it mm. in a way that like you don't need one hero because we're getting so many glimpses into all of these different stories yeah we've talked about how detailed this book is and mm. I think that's another thing that really brought the neighborhood to life for me was you just get these like little comments here or there that help explain things where you realize extra connections like um the uh, Molina the mm -hmm. kind of quote-unquote mad widow who like is really like depressed and dealing with like a lot of like mental health issues after being left by her lover and her husband has been killed or died or put in jail something like that um but she's related to Leela they're like a, a cousin of some sort mm -hmm. and so Melina happens to be around more often and like just knowing like oh right like it's not just like this family and that family and this family and they live in the same neighborhood but like everyday life it's like our connections are always like multiple multiple go multiple ways and mm -hmm. um and those continue yeah. to grow like they grow throughout each novel and they grow over like the series yeah which it makes it even more like who is the protagonist here <laughs> like yeah. like it's definitely about Elena and Leela but there's so many people that come into this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like she manages to make an entire town a protagonist. Yeah. In a way. Um, yeah. And watching how it grows and how it is in conflict with itself. Yeah. And the greater world. Yeah. Um, Some of my favorite kind of like symbolic and very coming of age moments in this book, being that it is like a. A Bildungsroman? I never know how to say that word. Bildungsroman. Yeah, not a beautiful word, but meaning. A <laughs> coming-of-age novel. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Leva and Lena, Elena um, take <laughs> skip school and decide they're going to walk to the beach, mm. and they leave their neighborhood for, like, the first time ever, mm. and it ends up pouring rain, and even though Leela has always been the, like, not afraid of anything, always the one, like, bringing up adventure. She's the one that's like, we have to go back. Yeah. And Elena's like, what do you mean? Like, we're we're probably closer to the beach than we are to home. We're going to get wet anyways. At this point, our parents are going to figure out we're not home. Um, you know, what have we got to lose, kind of? And Leela's the one that brings them back. Um, they both get in trouble in different ways. Yeah. Um, and then later, Elena does finally get to go and she lives at the beach for summer, and that's one of the biggest diversion points in their lives, and when they start, like, to grow, and mm. um, seeing through Elena's eyes, like, life outside of her neighborhood, and, like, I don't know, it was just so beautiful, and, like, I think I just connect to, like, the beach, too, like, growing yeah. up in, on lakes and by the ocean, whatever, like, I felt like such a big moment when you can like go to the beach by yourself for the first time yeah mm. i love that you yeah. brought that up though because that connects to such like that larger story of leela being tied to the neighborhood mm. and elena like consistently being trying to like leave it and 
they don't connect it in the book, but I wonder if there's even that sense of Leela wants to go back because she doesn't know who she is outside of the neighborhood, yeah. kind of in the, like, the boundaries disappearing. Like, she doesn't know who she is without grounding herself in it versus Elena is always, like, she's trying to know who she is, like, as a human, as her personal identity, not in relation to the neighborhood, per se, because she is Elena Greco and she's going to get out of it mm-hmm. and, like, go live her life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also in that moment, um, that, like, Leela having the idea of them going to the beach is her trying to keep Elena in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because she's trying to get Elena in trouble. Yes. So that she can't go to high school. They uh, portray that in the show, don't they? Because yeah. I've seen that yeah. in the previews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more clear, actually, in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, like... That's why she says she wants to go back because she feels bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she like she has this kind of change of heart and she realizes what she's doing. She's yeah. like, I don't really want to hurt my friend like this. I'm mm-hmm. just jealous. And she's like, we should go back. Um, and yeah, that scene is a great representation of their dynamic as well and like the conflict and love that's sort of so mixed together. Um, which I think, in general, to me, is a great example of just how, like, this book isn't some idealized story about a woman following her dreams of becoming a writer, and she's always wanted to be a writer, and everything works out, and, you know, she overcomes one adversity, and that's it, you know what I mean? And then it's, like, fine. It's, like, really gritty and like Elena only gets out yes she works incredibly hard but it's also like luck and family circumstances and like random like her teacher's friend's cousin being generous to her and giving her opportunities and like and the might like the teacher buying all of her books yeah I love that I mean the teacher isn't always a great person all around you know like pretty like just giving a try against Leela for not you know, yeah. having an education, yeah. um, yeah. quote-unquote, wasting her brilliance. Yeah. But the fact that she does support Elena is, is great. Like, yeah. we need teachers yeah. to support us, um, especially if you're coming from circumstances that kind of, like, build up against you from, mm. you know, you know, really getting the education. Yeah. And like, she's so word. motivated <laughs> as well by, like, she refuses to be her mother. Mm. That's, like, such a huge motivator. Um, Which I think is, like, something every generation of women Mm. struggles with. Mm -hmm. It's, like, I don't want to be you. Yeah. Um, Even if, like, that person is a great person. Yeah. That's, like... Yeah, absolutely. uh, I'm holding myself back because there's some greatness (laughs) later. But, totally. Because I think in the show, because, like, I I didn't really get this in the book, but in the show they do a really good job of making her mom a sympathetic character. Yeah. And, like, you're like, oh, she understands what Elena's feeling. She's just been beaten down by the system so much. And I think so often as women, we, like, our mothers are as much victims of the patriarchal system as we are and but we make it their fault yes instead of the mm-hmm. system's fault yes. you know what I mean yeah. and so we're like why didn't you fight and it's like they did they're just tired <laughs> or not even that they fought to get to where they are yeah to you that looks like nothing right to them it's everything yeah 
so then you can fight a little bit farther yes. than they did. And like, that sucks that you can't get as far as, like, you think you should be able to in a generation, but... Yeah. Like, she did her best. Yeah. Um, so, I, I found that... I found that very relatable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, like, um... Oh, that mother-daughter relationship. Um, and it's kind of the only mother-daughter relationship we really get a lot of insight into. Because yeah. you don't really get to talk about Leela's mom a whole lot. Well, because she's so submissive. Yeah. She's the main, like, I think that's the main reason Leela doesn't get to go to schools. Because her mom doesn't have as much of a voice as mm-hmm. Ellen's mom does. She's, like, completely silent. So, it's pretty sad. Um... I think if people take nothing else away from the discussion we've had is Mm. that this book that looks like 1970s (laughs) romantic trash is actually like such an in-depth look at this really gritty neighborhood and incredible friendship that 100% deserves your time. I think that's like my like if anyone walks away like please give this book a chance (laughs) because it's incredible. And I think if you, like, are overwhelmed by the characters, maybe watch the show first so then mm-hmm. you have a visual representation of who they are. Because um, I find that, I think it's helpful uh, yeah. to be able to see them. Because even the way the actresses who portray the characters visually look very, very different as well, which I found really interesting. It even plays into, like, possibly a discussion of colorism. Yep. Um, Leela is much darker complexion and black hair, and Ellen is, like, blonde. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I find that really interesting. I found that casting never, really fascinating. Yeah, also. it's never addressed directly, but you're just like, whoa, okay, was this a, yeah. a choice? Um, interesting. And it just kind of adds to all those different, mm-hmm. like, determinants that make you succeed or not mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily within your control. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So the TV show's great. I feel like I've talked about it. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the no, show's really, sure. really good. Uh, and the music is by Max Richter, who I'm obsessed with. Um, so. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Jessica. This has been Thank really you great. for having me. And it's great to, yeah, like, have, have time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. like, a designated, like, we're going to talk about this book for a very long time, because I yeah. feel like it's come up a couple times, or, like, well, you saw that I posted on Instagram or whatever, and I'm just like, I need to go talk about it with people. Well, so. I'm going to make you sit down and talk with me again. Yeah. Once you finish <laughs> the other books, because I have so much I want to talk about. For sure. Yeah. We will do it. Yeah. Okay. So for people who enjoyed this book, what would you recommend they read next? I think for me, one of the things I really liked about this novel that I know I like in other novels is kind of the multi-generational, you get to follow one family over a really long time span. So for me, um, I really love House of Spirits, which kind of is much more mystical and spiritual uh, by Isabella Allende. So another like translated novel. I also love Homegoing, another mm. translated novel so I just read by Yag. Yasi, is that what we looked it up? Yeah, yeah, Jassy, but yeah, Jassy, another like great story about the separation of like the way that your life could go in two very divergent ways. Yeah. Mm. I don't think that one was translated, but really, yeah, she came out of Ira, Iowa Writers Workshop. Oh, uh, probably wasn't translated yeah. then. Okay, but very um, 
like so eye-opening into like Ghanaian culture that I was not yeah yeah like not previously aware of honestly this is why I read because I'm like there's so little I know about like Mm -hmm. other countries and cultures and like this is the first time I ever like gave two thoughts to Naples besides like Naples Florida so (laughs) it was really great this book made me want to dig through all of my study abroad photos (laughs) and I did (laughs) yeah uh in terms of like expansive detailed community-based novels um about women and by women um i thought of two very different books that this book reminded me of uh one is americana by Mm -hmm. chimamanda ngozi adichie um uh, which is more about like cross-cultural experiences of an african woman um who comes to the u.s and then uh, Middlemarch by George Eliot, who is actually a woman, that is a pseudonym. Um, and Middlemarch is about a town called Middlemarch, and technically the protagonist is a woman, but it's really about the whole town. Um, but it's much more, like, yes, she is very, in. she indicts the political and social structures, but she also makes it much more romanticized um and the character the main character sort of the elena equivalent is much less angry than she should be um and ends up with nino (laughs) (laughs) i won't tell you who it is but the nino equivalent equivalent is who she ends up with um which i think is a bad choice so I have a hard time coming up with recommendations this week that I haven't already given. Um, when I think of, like, coming-of-age novels, especially about, like, a woman who becomes a writer, I mm. first think of Little Women, so mm. go read that. Um, listen to Julia and her brother's episode on it, because yeah. it's super fun. Um, but I actually literally Googled what to read after my brilliant friend. <laughs> and Bustle has a great article of 15 books, and one that I've seen recommended time and again by friends and mm-hmm. on the internet and other places, Circe by Madeline Miller, um, which is taking a character from the Odyssey and telling like her whole story almost biographically. So, I mean, different time period, but powerful female protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to read it. So if you've got a copy, I'd love to borrow it. Anyone? Yeah. Hello? Just kidding. I'll get it from the library. Um, Not Cersei Lannister, in case <laughs> you're curious. That was my first reaction. I was like, what? <laughs> also, no. would be a fascinating biography. Also, yes. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Would love to read a book by her. Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to check out any of the recommendations we gave, as well as links to other things we mentioned through the episode, you can find us bookclubwithjv.com. Uh, we'll list all the show notes there. You can also follow along to see what we're reading next and uh, catch some cool memes that Julia leaves in our stories on Instagram at bookclubwithjv. A big thank you to Greg Brook, our sound engineer, for making us sound good and creating all of our original music. Another big thank you to Gabby Feblin for our design. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you guys on our next episode. Bye, guys. Happy reading.